0: Welcome to the Prigya Arora show where we discuss law, innovation and entrepreneurship with people who have been there and done that. My name is Prigya Arora, founder of PA Legal, an intellectual property law firm in India. And today we have Mr. Warren Turtle with us. He is a specialist in the field of open innovation and we'll dive in a conversation with him. Welcome, Warren, on the show. I'm so excited to meet you.
1: Well, likewise, Pragya. Thanks, thanks for having me. I know we're on different continents. I'm in the New York City area uh, in the United States, and it's my pleasure to uh, converse with you in India. It's really exciting.
0: Wow. So, Warren, let us start with your story and how did you enter into the field of open innovation?
1: Well, I could go on for a few hours, <laughs> but I'll make it as quick as possible. Um, I I sort of was an entrepreneur in my youth growing up. I uh had a I had my own paper route when I was a boy. I I shoveled driveways and washed windows and Took care of people's lawns and all through uh, my college years to earn money. Um, I went to work after college uh, in a New York City at a department store called Abraham & Strauss. It was a wonderful place to learn how to become a buyer and a merchant. Uh, I spent six years there and uh, learned a great deal. I was in the housewares area, but I always wanted to be in my own business. I always wanted to get back to what I was doing, which was. Uh, working hard, but scheduling my own hours. So Mm -hmm. I left there and I started my own collection of stores. They were called the Complete Kitchen. Uh, They were a high-end sort of specialty kitchenware shop like William Sonoma. I don't know if you're familiar in India, but here in the US, they're quite big. Uh, I had a cooking school. I had a food business. I had a chef's takeout. I kept growing it, growing it, growing it. I finally had 65 employees uh, and I was very involved. Mm -hmm. And one day an inventor uh, walked in with a product that ended up being called Misto, uh, the olive oil sprayer. And uh, I had been very good at finding new products. Uh, I write about it in my book, Inventor Confidential. I had launched about 10 or 12 new products. But this gentleman was different. He was an inventor. He was uh, hadn't made any of the products yet. He just had a prototype and it was an oil sprayer that allowed you to spray oil has very heavy viscosity olive oil and and so uh, this this uh, was a patented product that solved that problem and uh that i don't know in india what you happen in here in america we have a product called pam uh, pam it's a very big uh, oil spray yeah but it uses a propane gas to fire it it uh when you're done you have to throw the can away so it goes in the landfill and it's a uh, there's preservatives in it. And so this was all natural, reusable. And Misto was a big hit. We went on to sell millions and it changed my life. And uh, so then I decided to sell all my stores mm-hmm. and get into the business of helping inventors. This is about 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. And ever since I've been um, um, getting involved with companies, running open innovation programs, working with inventors as the president of the largest nonprofit inventor group in the U.S., the United Inventors Association, serving on many government panels and and writing a book and and but otherwise finding I've, I've licensed over 125 products which have generated between things i've sold over a billion dollars in sales so it's been a fun mm-hmm. active life
0: one <laughs> that's why you know i am so excited to meet you and to learn about this because ip commercializing commercialization in india itself is very very new we are we are beginning uh, like we are in the stage where people protect their IP, people innovate, people make products, but they're not able to commercialize to the extent they can. And if uh, I can learn and people through this podcast can learn from you, maybe we can implement and together help so many people around.
1: Well, uh, my pleasure. And that is, uh, you know, it's not easy. Yeah. Uh, also not simple.
0: <laughs> <Correct>.
1: <laughs> it, it's... Uh... It uh it takes a bit, you know, for for people who are listening today, and I'm I'm not trying to sell anything here. Trust me, I'm not a salesman, uh, more of a mechanic. Um, mm-hmm. but I did write a book called Inventor Confidential, um, which can be gotten on Amazon. And if people want to read a little bit more and get a little bit more depth on this, but but it's it's not it's not easy, Prigia. It's 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 um, uh, a lot of things have to come together. Okay. Uh, and the odds are long and the and, and the risk can be high. So you want to mitigate, I don't know if that is but you want to um, reduce yeah. your risk, mitigate your risk, um, but at the same time, um follow you know your leads. It doesn't always work out. So you have to be kind of tough, you know. and uh, but I try to be very real with people. Yeah. Um, I, there's a lot of people here in the United States. There's people, companies that, are always telling inventors, "Oh, you can do it, you can do it. Just pay mm-hmm. me and pay me and you can do it." And So they make money, but uh the people that are actually doing it, you know, are not making money. And that that's that's actually kind of upsetting to me. So I believe in businesses where everybody profits and yeah. to the extent that there's not profit in it, then I don't want to take people's money and I don't take people's money. So
0: Absolutely amazing. So one let's dive into I think we'll start, we'll have to start from the basics, like what is open innovation and how can people, companies, businesses, inventors, individuals benefit from open innovation?
1: Perfect. So open innovation, I define it as, as the search by companies yeah. uh, outside their four walls for new innovation that they don't develop in-house, but they're looking for outside the company. The, uh, the term was actually I said, was uh, coined by, I don't know if you can see it on screen, by Dr. Henry Chesbrough. He's written nine books on open innovation. Uh, he coined it about 25 years ago. And uh, he's a professor at the Haas Business School in, in Berkeley, California, University of California in Berkeley. And um, he was a proponent of describing... Uh, because Frankly, in the, at least in the United States, and I speak mostly, I, I need to be honest, that most of my experience is from here in the United States. I have a little bit of experience in Europe, no experience really in India, but here in the United States, um, companies in the, like the 1960s and the 1970s, um, they were all very what we call proprietary. So to describe that term, it means they were doing everything themselves, in-house. They all had like secret formulas, you know, uh, like like Tide, like Tide is a dishwasher, you know, a, a cl- cleaning product. It has secret formula that that only you know Procter and Gamble knew about, and 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 they sell this, you know, or or McDonald's, you know, uh, there's a special sauce, you know, on on your bird and and nobody could take the special sauce. So everything was very proprietary. Very, uh, companies battled each other. Um, for market share. And open innovation was the concept. of We don't have to do that. We can share information. Yeah, uh, We can reach outside the company for innovators and do deals with them, licensing deals and things, so that everybody benefits. And Procter & Gamble was the first big company to do that. Um, that was a book uh, written by a guy named A.G. Uh, Lafley. A.G. was the chairman. And he used sort of the principles that Henry Chesbrough you know, wrote about and and And, profitized, and they ended up um, at Procter & Gamble being quite successful going outside the company. And suddenly, all, almost 50% of their new products were from inventors and innovators around the world from outside the company. So then other companies like Lever Brothers followed them and then more companies got in the open innovation space. So that was sort of the origins of it in the 70s and 80s. And it started becoming bigger in the 90s. Um, but then, unfortunately, uh, companies learn that it's not always easy. Um, sometimes they try these new ideas, they don't work, money spent on them. Uh, so there's a little bit of frustration that we've gone through. So you've seen the um, open innovation arena sort of expand and then sort of shrink back again. And today, more progressive companies are still doing it, but they don't really know how to do it and where to yeah. look and it's, it's amazing the cultural differences, like there's cultural differences between in India, USA and in the United States, but there's massive cultural differences between innovators, independent innovators and large companies. Okay. Uh, they come from entirely different backgrounds and they don't understand each other. So that's why I jumped in the space. I'm a translator. Um, I'm Marco Polo, you know, I'm trying to convince the big companies and I show them how to do it. And try to convince the the innovators how to approach them properly. So that's my mission in life, um, and we're taking a second charge at it. And in fact, I'm I'm now involved in a startup company called Market Blast, which is going to take the things I've learned from the companies I've worked with, and do it with you know hundreds, if not thousands, of companies. So so we still believe in it. it just needs to be done properly, and people need to learn from the experience.
0: Correct. So I think uh, one currently also, as you said a lot of people want to get involved in this area but they don't know how to and uh, many of the people are trying to develop uh, an ecosystem where where things can coexist together or small inventors are able to reach out to companies and things like that so here you know we have uh, on one side we have a very strong intellectual property system where people are Like we have to protect our intellectual property. We have to protect it as a trade secret. We do not have to disclose things. We have to monetize based on the monopoly we get after protecting intellectual property. On other side, there is a concept of open innovation where people believe in sharing values, sharing experience, sharing innovation and things like that. But these two things coexist together. Like if I have IP, I can still go into the licensing deals. So I think here it is very necessary to discuss how to maintain a balance and how to uh, this coexistence live actually between sure. the
1: companies. Well, I understand exactly what you're describing. Um, and there's two sides of it. So let's talk about the inventor or the innovator side. Uh, I'll use the word innovator because yeah. it's more than just inventors. Um, it's, it's, um, the, you, you, it, it, everything always starts the same way. It starts with an idea. Uh, it starts with then vetting that idea to see if anybody's pursued it already, what else exists in the marketplace. Um, I write about this extensively in Inventor Confidential, and to me, it's very important to do things correctly. And, uh, and that means, uh, in my opinion, uh, building a prototype that functions or proves function doesn't have to look nice, but yeah. it has to work, okay? And while you develop that prototype, then you're learning what mechanical um, parts to it um function and make it function and are unique. And that's the basis of then looking into the intellectual property side of it, what can be protected. And I believe in doing all these things properly, if you if you're not a product developer yourself, getting someone involved that is, uh, then looking into the patent side, the search side, if you're not an expert in that area, get a person that is like yourself to 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 help. These are monies well spent in the beginning. Um, to sort of get through the barrier of of, of translating your idea into a product. Uh, I am not a big believer in ideas, throwing ideas against the wall because I've seen it 100,000 times. Um, And they're not protected, uh, easily taken. And companies, quite frankly, um, this idea that we throw an idea at a company and they magically just take it and pay you hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars is bogus and even the people that claim it never really had that type of success with it. So I, I don't, I don't, I, I like to tell people the truth. You need to do the hard work. Yeah. And and you can't just come up with a hundred ideas and send them to me and I'm gonna <laughs> be your savior, you know, you need to pick what the one that you think is going to make it and, and and present it that way. So for now now for innovators, then when they finally get to that point where they built a prototype, they figured out a patent and they've experienced then a decision has to be made. Do I want to go to market directly myself? Um, Which is, I think, in some ways, um, I wouldn't say easier, but it's more, uh, there's more opportunity than there was years ago. Now you can go on Amazon, you can do things yourself, you can set up your own websites, uh, you can drive traffic there. That was not available 20 years ago. So that's a good thing. Or you um, may want to license it. Most people go the licensing route because it's easier. They can turn it over. Of course, when you go the licensing route, then you're paid a royalty, which is a smaller amount. And um, But hopefully they do bigger volume because maybe the company has great uh, resources and they have brand names and shelf space and so forth. But if you do it yourself, it can be quite risky. Um, so you really have to know what you're doing, get the right people involved and be able to um, uh, basically uh, finance your risk. You know, On the company side of things, Um, They have their many large companies and the companies I work with have their own internal product development departments and they have heads of research and development and and, uh, some even bigger, quite sophisticated. Um, But they tend to work within a corporate arena where they're not necessarily entrepreneurs. They're not necessarily savvy. There's a lot of pressures inside the company to perform a certain way to act a certain way, and they're not always open-minded and different to see where subtle, disruptive new stuff could be exciting. And so what I do for them is I add this other element that I manage for them. And then when we find something that's good and we've vetted it and it makes sense, then they can latch on and then they can get involved with it, which is a nice thing. But for companies, the challenge is how do you stay open-minded? How do you make decisions on things you move ahead with? And how do you invest in those so that you reap the rewards and understanding that there's risk involved on your side too? Um, but the beautiful thing is is when it works, it can be dynamic and game changing.
0: Yeah. So
1: uh, but all this is is not easy to do. So we try to live in the real world, Prigya, <laughs> yeah.
0: and, and
1: and let people know there's challenges on both sides and define it and then take it from there.
0: Got it. So go. Uh, Warren, we understand like there are challenges on both sides, like inventor side and the company side too, because company is going to evaluate the product what inventor has developed and inventor has to, I think, give their pitch in a right direction that what exactly is innovative in their product. So there, there, there has to be a balance on both sides. But for example, an innovator's, comes to you with a product, uh, any product, for for example, let me take, though this is a paper straw, but let's consider that this is uh, a highlighter of some sort, a new highlighter, which is developed. So if an innovator comes to you, what would you suggest him that what step he should take on his side? to take the products into market. This is a very nascent stage and and an example, but probably if we discuss some steps, people will have some idea, like what do they actually need to do at the ground level?
1: Well, let me first start off by saying he or she.
0: Yeah, he Uh, or she.
1: (laughs) And uh, that's something that I'm very involved with here in America is getting more people involved uh minorities women yeah rural folks um we're only operating our innovation ecosystem here in about 25% efficiency in America and so it's a big part of my life and um to try to turn that over but um if that that's a new highlighter um uh, the the innovator needs to uh rationally you know the term rational um, uh, needs to uh, realistically and appropriately, um, determine what's unique and different about it. Uh, what's the value add in the in the product? Um, does it do something that other products don't do? Does it make life easier? Uh, can it be made much less expensively? I mean, but these things need to be significant. You know, a 10% savings mm-hmm. in cost is not going to get anyone excited. It needs to be, you know, 50% cheaper. It needs to add to, So there has to be an evaluation and that has to come from, so that's the first thing innovators can do is, is, and how do you do that? Well, you can go online, you can check Amazon, you can see what else is out there. Um, here in America, I'm not sure in India, but you'll have to translate this for me. But in America, um, let's say you had that product. I would go down to my local you know, computer stores or I would go to yeah. tech stores and I would talk to the salespeople. I would show it to them. I'm not worried about them stealing the idea. Uh, I, I really am not individuals. I, I, I worry with companies, but not with individuals. Ask people what they think, whether they like it or not, as you develop Good. it. Try to talk to people who have some sort of expertise in it. And I'm yeah. not talking about the presidents of companies. They presidents of companies have expertise in running the companies. They really have expertise in the products they make. I mean, if you're a company that makes, uh, you know, football, footballs for for a football game, you know, the president usually doesn't even play football. You know, I would go talk to the football players. You know, yeah. and 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 what do they think of it? Do they enjoy it? And so forth. so so that that's step number one. You need to you know determine that, and then you need to get very familiar with competition. Um, and maybe there is no competition. Maybe it's so disruptive that nothing exists, but there's usually something that you can compare to. Like I mentioned Misto before, there was nothing in the housewares area, but there was something in the food area in PAM. So you want to you wanna play off that, see what you have and so forth. And that's very important to build your foundation because as you go forward, people are going to assume that you know what you're talking about and you better know what you're talking about. Um, and then the next step is if, Let's just say, for example, that you want to license it and and find bigger companies. Then you have to go out and do your homework. Now, in America, I preach to people that it's really fun and good to go to trade shows. Uh, We have a lot of trade shows in America. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but we have 30,000 trade shows in America. I mean, they're all very small in hotels to very large ones, Las Vegas or Chicago. Um, There's in every industry. So if you have a housewares product, a hardware product, in this case, a tech product, you might want to go to the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, walk it for four days, go through the, all those little companies in the back to see. Um, be prepared to share some information with people, maybe not give the whole thing away. Um, you can also go online and research companies. Um, my new company, Market Blast. It's marketblast.com. Uh, we have about a hundred companies right now doing searches. We're expanding that greatly. Over the next few months, we're gonna have major announcements that wow. with information to people that would link them into tens of thousands of companies. So more on that, we're not we've been working on it, but more on that later. But there are different resources, but you need to go out and find out who might be the right partner for you. And then you need to go to those company websites and see if they take outside. Um, product submissions um, to see what their process is. Uh, uh, some are very clear that they don't, you know, so you can stay away from them. For those that do, if you reach out and start, you know, submitting like at lifetime brands in the housewares area, I do that. Uh, we're set up to do that. Um, there might be a point where in the beginning, you just are uh, sharing information. I wouldn't give anything away of, Specific value, mm-hmm. um, for instance, if it was a wand that you were saying, or or, or I forget what what we're we're talking about, but um, it, you could generally say, "Listen, I've developed this this wand. It's it's fifty percent more efficient, and it uses less energy, and it's good for the environment." You know, would you be interested? That's not giving anything away, mm. so um, so that's okay. You, you could describe what you're up to to get interest. If they then say, the company then comes back and says, yes, we are interested in that, then and they want to see more, then you need to make a decision on sharing specifics, and then you need to do it under what we call a non-disclosure agreement. Ready. I'm sure you're very familiar with that, but your listeners call it, we call it an NDA here in the United States, but a non-disclosure agreement, I'm sure you have your equivalent in india with the legal system that you sign an agreement that says that i will share specifics now i will give you i will show you how i came up with this better product but you cannot share that nor can you profit from that you 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 you, you. and so here's the thing though companies typically want you to sign their non disclosure agreement
0: yeah and,
1: and there's a reason for that it's because you know i get i get thousands of submissions a year I can't sign thousands of different NDAs and look through. It would be too costly. So I have my own NDA, and the company has their own NDA. Yeah. So if that's the case, don't get discouraged. Just make sure you read through it. Make sure they check with someone like you um, or their or their or their legal people if they're not sure about it, and make sure the NDA is fair. Yeah. Because that's a big indication I have found that whether the company is a good company and one worth working for if the if the nda is what we call onerous um then uh and and it's all their way i wouldn't deal with them because yeah. it's only going to get worse as you get down the road our ndas are very fair people are always compliment me on because they're we're trying to get to the next step so um A lot can be learned from the NDA in terms of whether the company is a good one or bad one. So those are a few steps in the beginning to get you started and start the conversation with a larger entity.
0: Wow. I love the way you explained that in the in the initial stage, don't disclose too much information because I think it will give a ground for infringement or companies can come up with their product themselves.
1: That's so correct. But you got to give them something, you know. I, I use a different. Um, example here in the United States, but I'll give it anyway because it's coming. Kind of... So, do you do you guys mow your own lawns? And in, in we we have like lawns, and we're always mowing. Yes. Them, you know? <laughs> so I always say, if you invented a lawnmower that that can mow the lawn in half the time, yeah, and maybe you could be drinking a cocktail and it does it by itself. Then that's okay to say. You just say I've invented a lawnmower that mows it in half the time. Mm-hmm. But if they ask you, well, why? How can it do that? Now, now, now you have to be very careful with that information because that's what they could take. So okay. don't give anything away and be very careful, but be polite. You know, I always encourage people be polite and friendly and, and, and nice. Yeah. I, I I have had many, 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 many nice relationships with inventors, thousands over the years. There's every so often a jerk. I had one a couple of weeks ago that was a complete jerk and, 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 and life's too short, you know, yeah for, for a know-it-all jerk they're usually men by the way men are <laughs> men, are, men are like that but uh but then but then when you describe it be be uh be be brief yeah Be to the point you don't have to sell me okay this is important this is really important you don't have to sell me or a company in the first minute okay it, it's just slow down and get them interested T- tell about what the general benefit is of it. And then if I'm doing my job, I come back to you and then I want to know more and we develop a relationship. It's just like dating, you know, you're not trying to make this sale. and, and You're not getting married in the first minute here. You just, you know, you just, just, just get to know each other a little bit better. And I, I urge people to be polite and and keep the process going to keep their options open, you
0: know. Wow, I love the uh, chronology you gave. It's like dating. The first get to know who 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 the buyer is and yeah. to whom you are selling. And yeah. also, you know, uh, what I got from this uh, conversation is we probably we can disclose the use. What use or what utility or what cost benefit our product benefit or advantages of our product, but not the technology part of product, not the how our invention is going to work, how our innovation is going to work or how our product is going to actually work.
1: That's right. when when you when you when you get to that second date, You know, um, before you uh, do anything more, Mm -hmm. uh, make sure you have uh, a non-disclosure agreement in place.
0: Absolutely. So, uh, Warren, again, you know, IP in itself is a costly process, then innovation, open innovation, licensing, deals, everything is a costly process. How do you suggest that innovators should go from the point of view of expenses their commercial viability and things like that
1: it's a great question um, and it's it's always you know it's funny the the uh, the 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 coaches in america the inventor coaches who yeah. you know they 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 say you know just throw an idea out there you don't have to spend any money yeah. and, and 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 so i understand that um, philosophically but it doesn't work okay yeah. because when you send me an idea the first thing i ask you have you have you have you prototyped it have you patented it you know these are questions that, and and even if i think the product's good it's, it's the next thing that's going to be required so you have to make a decision on it at some point so the, the, it's 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 difficult to you know to get started but here's what i would say a here's where i think the 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 specifics are developing a working prototype is important. So if you're serious, if you're serious, if, if, if it's just a game to you and you're just a, an idea person, you're throwing it, you're not an inventor. Okay. So if you're an inventor, you, you build a prototype that works. The money that you spend on that is well spent. And I would say that, you know, it, sometimes it costs you a few hundred dollars. Sometimes you can build it yourself. Um, but maybe it'll cost you a, a few thousand dollars. That's possible. But, you have to make the determination on that, but it's but it's money well spent if you're really serious about this now you may find along the way that you couldn't build what you thought you could and now that's up a couple of thousand dollars is 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 wasted in some ways but it's not really it 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 prevented you from wasting a lot of more money down the road yeah the other component that we talked about was intellectual property you know there are ways of filing um provisional patents um they're less expensive, you know. I always encourage people to get legal counsel, but if you've been through it many times, you might file in a provisional on your own. Now, if provisional only buys you twelve months. America is now tied in the rest of the world's patent system, and and so so there is you 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 get a preferred you know space in that. But when it comes to converting to a non-provisional patent yeah. and getting serious, what I call a big boy patent, yeah. um, it it costs money, and again. You have to make a determinant, but these are monies that are spent. So suddenly you could go from a few hundred dollars to a few thousands to before you know it, (laughs) five to $10,000. That's pretty much where I put the cap on it though. Do not go out and make up a thousand units. Okay. And spend $25,000 doing that. Do not, you know, there's a whole bunch of things, you know, you might go to a trade show and visit, you know, I could tell you how to spend your first five to 10,000 yeah. uh, if you're serious, but you do it in stages and you get positive feedback as you go along or you or you bail out. Um, and this helps you if you really are onto something serious. Now, if you want to just take an idea and throw it against the wall, that's fine. But, but I think that... Um, what you're going to find is the odds are long. And God forbid, if you ever found something, the people are not going to pay you full value for your your idea. It's just never going to happen. So so that's the, you know, there's a little bit of risk, you know, here. And uh, yeah. so you have to mitigate that risk by doing stuff in stages and staying rationally aware of what what, you know, how it's going.
0: Uh, beautifully explained you know uh, we don't have to spend a lot of chunk all together we can spend it in stages for example as you explained that we can go to provisional patent wait for 12 years see how market is reacting to our product how our potential customers is are reacting to our product and then take a decision of non-provisional then take a decision of licensing and things like that
1: that's exactly right, and I've done a lot of deals based upon uh, provisional patents. Um, we we and because of me, because I, I I spent a lot of time setting up these programs, we prefer that the innovator owns the patent. Yeah. We, we, a lot of people say, "Oh, I'll send you an idea, you you patented, and and you know you own the patent." Okay, this is what they think. Eh, this isn't work. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying it never works, but it, but the odds are very, very long with that. We prefer that you own the patent as the innovator, so that we ask you then that that if we like it and it's a provisional patent, uh, then before we sign the agreement, we ask that you um, convert it to a non-provisional, um, and then you assign it to the company. Now we typically pay in advance, you know, five thousand dollars. I mean, so that you could use that advance to, to 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 convert it, and then it becomes your property. You own it. And you have the rights to it. And that's that's the way we prefer, you know, the companies that I work with prefer to do things.
0: Wow, awesome. So uh, as we are moving to the stages, like we, we discussed, like we can protect uh, using the NDA. Then we discussed about the cost benefit analysis part of it. And now let's move to infringement because we are, going for so many licensing deals and we are trying to share our technology, there is a high risk of infringement. So one thing that we discussed is an NDA. Are there another other things that we can keep in mind while entering into licensing deals, disclosing our innovation or, or anything that we can do from for protecting ourselves from things like patent roles, patent ticketing, because especially in technology areas like softwares and high-end technology areas, patent roles have also become a practice, like, okay, we have developed something in, in electronics, we are going to send you a legal notice. <laughs> so,
1: Yeah, Um. It, well, listen, your, your first step, as you described, is your relationship with the company that you want to license with, and, and we talked about non-disclosure agreements. Um, the benefit in, in licensing to a larger company is that they can usually, um, have the, uh, legal infrastructure and the cloud and the power yeah. to fight. Um, so if you license the product with lifetime brands, now the lifetime brands legal department is, is, yeah. is making sure that your patent is enforced. And that brings a lot more clout to the table, um, in terms of they have brands Uh, they have other ways of protecting the product and they have their, you know, actual clout in the marketplace that enables them to, to not just call up someone who's infringing and say, stop infringing, but to do something about it that you don't have as an individual. So that's one of the benefits to licensing to a bigger entity. And that's why you want to make sure you get the right partner so that the right partner, um, can help enforce the patents. Now let's talk about patent trolls. One of my favorite subjects, Um, (laughs) The patent troll—I'm not saying it doesn't exist—does, uh, you know, and maybe more in the tech area. But, but it's no bigger problem today than it was 100 years ago. Yeah. I know that statistically, uh, it affects about 17 to 18 percent of patents, which is what it did in the 1800s. Okay, <laughs> um, but on the basis of that, the large tech companies uh, in America have tried to rewrite the patent laws, and, and they and they and they they were pretty successful with the American Innovation Act of. 2012, which was put into place in 2013, among things that they um, put in there, the uh, bane of my existence is the PTAB, the Patent Trial and Appeal Board, which which says that you could go through four or five years of getting your patent issued, and then anybody, anybody, but not just the parties who are involved, could could go back and challenge your patent. Two thirds of the time that challenge is accepted by the patent office, and 84 percent of the time, at least one major claim is is is, mm-hmm. is, is And by the way, the only products or the only patents that are litigated that way, and I should say Litigate—it's really something for the courts. But in America now, you can go back to this, this PTAB kangaroo court at the U, U.S. patent It's—it's it's very expensive, you know, to, yeah. to, to 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 take that back. But the the premise of the PTAB was, it was supposed to save expensive going to a the main court. But the problem is, is anybody can bring it forth. It doesn't even have to be one of the parties. And then immediately upon acceptance, your patent, which was valid, is now considered no longer valid.
0: Yeah. So now
1: you're back at this equal playing field. Instead of if you went to court, you would at least have a valid patent, and you would have the advantage.
0: Yeah, of having
1: gone through all this thing, so it's a very very frustrating thing. It's a very unfair practice, and it way outdoes the, the 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 negative impact of trolls. Ptab has been a killer. I just I'm on the United States Intellectual Property Alliance National Board, and I'm going down to Atlanta in three weeks, and I put together a, a video about Molly Metz. You can write that name down, Molly Metz, M E T Z. Molly was a five-time United States jump roping champ- champion. She, she invented a superior jump rope, spent five years getting a patent, put $30,000 into the product. And then as soon as she started selling them, everyone infringed upon her. And then the big guys from CrossFit, the biggest manufacturer of CrossFit, mm-hmm. stole her idea, put other people's names on it. And when she uh, told them to stop, you know, by the way, that's what trolls do. But this is an actual yeah. person that has the product. And um, they said, you know, see you later. And they went to PTAB and they got her patents infringed. And she, she ended up selling her business and she lost a lot of money on it. And it's a very heartwarming, it's it's tear jerking. She's now all the way back to the United States Supreme Court fighting this. And I put together a movie that focuses on Molly. It's a 15-minute movie that we're showing to the entire board to show What's happening to independent inventors? Because under the guise of patent trolls, they're using that as an excuse to go in and water down the patent system. Reminds me of Russia going into Ukraine. Yeah. Calling Zelensky a Nazi when he's Jewish, you know, and then this fake front and then going in militarily. I know it's not as bad, but I'm just saying, I'm trying to make an over-the-top example. Get it. It's not right. It's not right. So when you bring up patent trolls, I don't want to say there is no issue with patent trolls because there is, but their solution to it has been very, very onerous to independent inventors and something we're fighting for here in the United States to make sure that we don't lose our edge at innovation because at the end of the day, we want people to take risk. We want them to invest their time and money and we want new New things—it's—it's it's what America is all about. It's our lifeblood. If we lose this, it's not going to be a good thing.
0: Yeah, and I—I I totally agree with you because I have been also researching in this field since quite a time. Like I've been reading cases of patent trolls and things like that for smaller inventors. Or innovators, it is very very difficult to fight because most of the time they'll think like, okay, we we we, we just cannot fight with these players, and it's best to enter into a licensing deal. Pay well, you money. can't you can't
1: fight them, you know if if they won't license it though, yeah, and they just take it you know, it becomes even worse for people. So, right. and by the way, nobody ever steals an item that's not successful. Yeah. So they sit back and they wait. And this is why they do it. This is why the patent system was first put in to protect people and to create innovation. The American economy has been built on it since 1792. Yeah. It's had success beyond people's dreams. And and and, uh, and and this is what builds it. I mean, Google, uh, Apple, these companies that are fighting, they all started with patents you know in yeah. their algorithms and every other things. So, but I always say once they're up in the tree fort they want to pull the ladder up, you know, and not let any girls up there. You know, mm-hmm. it's like no girls allowed, you know, that's that's the scene we have here in the United States. We all had tree forts when we were kids.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, again I like to mention i have seen cases where not only patent roles are doing these these practices but there are bigger companies also which are doing this with smaller inventors and sometimes it it is very difficult uh, once i uh, i should not say this but i also entered into a fight with an uh, with another attorney because they they had a big client and we were a small client and they were infringing our trademarks, but they were like, okay, we are ready to go to the Supreme court, but our, our, are people they cannot spend so much money to get enter into different stages and then it, it's a kind of situation which is very difficult for everybody to handle
1: well then you what what they should do is convince <laughs> you that they have a good case and you take it on contingency yeah and, and then um but if you win in the India Supreme Court, then uh, you get you know fifty percent of the uh, reward or something like that. So it makes it worth your while. So, uh, so you can make a determination to... uh, I it's worthwhile. But that's what that's what we, I do, do try to encourage inventors here that if you can get someone to a big law firm to take it for you on contingency and fight it, but they but then you're going to have to give up a big part of the reward, you know.
0: So uh Warren, unfortunately in India we do not we cannot take uh, cases based on contingency. We <laughs> oh. we are covered by law. What's so the matter? Wow. yeah so we can do only fixed fee you <laughs> know costing is that, the, is that
1: like an english is that from the english system yeah that's yes,
0: horrible yes. We, we practice common law so <laughs> that is not oh, allowed. so it's like either we pay from our pocket and it's very hard to you know See, that's
1: that that that's that favors big rich people and and corporations Correct. Uh, which is which is too bad so Uh, And, you know, I know you have a different societal structure, but Mm -hmm. America is always supposed to be about, you know, the little guy and and allowing freedom. (laughs) Anybody can grow up to be whatever they want. It doesn't happen that way, but but it's our premise. So we we do have our system of laws based on the English, but it's but we have significant uh, differences uh, we also don't have a loser pay system here in in, in yeah. England, the loser in a court trial pays, which even scares smaller people even more. So maybe it's a little fair here in the United States. So uh, maybe it'll be an American company that rips you off and then you can sue them here.
0: So uh, we, we have uh, an interesting law, which is, you know, we can get injunctions against uh, threats. So that is very useful when it okay. comes to patent roles like if a patent role is sending me a notice i can just go to the court and take an injunction against those uh threats so yeah, that yeah. is very very useful so we have had cases i have personally dealt with those cases where we have Good. filed a, a case of groundless threats against
1: people right who do these yeah we don't we don't have Injunctions or something that have left our our, um, our, our vocabulary here, and <laughs> it's kind of a mess. I, I've been too involved in this. I'm not an attorney myself, but I understand all the issues, so it's, yeah. it's, uh, fun. But uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you're busy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So Warren, uh, now what we'll do is we'll come to you. We have discussed uh, about open innovation and we'll discuss a little bit about your life. So it is a quick rapid fire round, just to answer these three questions very, very quickly.
1: you like my psychiatrist, do you ask a question? <laughs> yes, okay. Okay.
0: three things you are grateful for.
1: Uh, I'm grateful for my family, my, my mother and father and my family growing up. I'm grateful for the health of my family today and i am very grateful that i have had a, a wonderful life in an innovation world which has been uh, 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 beyond my dreams uh, exciting and and uh, beneficial to me
0: two traits or habits that you think are useful for a professional career
1: well i i, I like to say this if you if you want to go on your own business Someone asked me once, uh, "What what's a trait I should have if I go into my own business?" I said, "Be able to get up in the morning without an alarm clock." Wow, um, so that's one I would say. Awesome. Uh, being so motivated, and 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 I would say the other is is you know obviously working hard, and and, and th- these are important things, but enjoy life too. Um, make sure that you stay open-minded and experience uh, all, all things in, 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 in life because you never know where the experiences you learn outside of business come back to help you. So wow. keep an open mind.
0: Open mind and get up on time without an alarm clock. <laughs> <laughs> and one aspiration you have for the future?
1: Well, I I, I really... In terms of of the subject we're talking about, I I have great uh, desire that the next generation of inventors and those that are just being born and and those that are in their 20s and younger people um, continue to have opportunity um, and that they grow up into a life um, where they can pursue their dreams, you know, um, they're not taken away from them. I'm a big person in freedom individual freedom and opportunity um I know that that's difficult some places in the world to practice so get yourself to a place where you can practice it and and I and my my aspiration is for those who come behind me to have the same opportunities by the way not just if they're white men for, <laughs> for, 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 I have three daughters um for for my daughters for for minority for people disenfranchised for, all the people of the world that that um you know haven't always had access or or always had um all that you know inside backing and so forth to 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 to, to have a world where where they can you know maximize their talents so that's my yeah. aspiration
0: awesome amazing and i wish everything comes true so we are also two sisters so <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I, I I can relate to this very much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, my my mom, my 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 mother was very bright. She uh, graduated from high school at fifteen years old. She was number one in her class. She was uh, never allowed to go to college, or uh, you know, this is back in World War II in the nineteen forties, and. Um, women didn't uh, go to college, uh, um, and so uh, she's very, very uh, bright and, and could have been very successful. And uh, I, I always, my children, my my daughters are all now, one's a lawyer, um, she works for Goldman Sachs and right. is in compliance. My middle daughter's getting a PhD in, in institutional psychology, and my younger daughter works for Pandora Radio selling uh, digital media in New York City. So and so they and they and they have wonderful relationships with with men who recognize and understand that, that there's tremendous value in mm-hmm. what they bring to the table. So that's an amazing thing and I hope that that continues.
0: Awesome. So, Warren, any final thoughts you want to give to our audience before we conclude this part?
1: Well, it's so it's so it's such a pleasure today. I I grew up uh in Switzerland. Um I lived for 5 years. I do a lot of traveling and I go to Europe a lot. I have yet to go to India, so maybe someday. But I, I'm 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 sort of enamored, and I've always read about it, and uh, uh, met many people from India who have been terrific and good friends. So thank you for having me, and let me speak to your audience.
0: Thank you so much, Warren, for your time and your willingness to share. It was absolutely a delight speaking with you.
1: You got it. All right, forget. Well, until we talk again. Thank you.
0: Hey there. Thank you for attending today's session. If you enjoyed today's session do follow our channel and consider sharing it with a friend. My name is Prigya Arora daughter of inspiring parents alumna of IIT engineer turned lawyer and entrepreneur and now founder of PA Legal where we help creators and innovators protect their intellectual property. Thank you.